Happy Sunday, CCA family. How are y'all doing today? Yeah? Sweet. Man, don't y'all miss Pastor Kai and Annette? Man. Dude, I, I, I miss him. I miss him so much. Man. They, uh, so, my name is Drew, if you're new here. Uh, and I work for Chi Alpha as well, which stands for Christ's Ambassadors. And we love Jesus, and we love college students. So, that's what I do as my full-time job. It's awesome. I'm not the pastor of CCA. The pastor is Pastor Kai, and he's a dear friend. He's on vacation, enjoying his rest with his family, but he'll be back here very soon. So for now, you get me. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray before we get started, okay? Lord Jesus, the king of the universe, God, you say in your word that we're two or three or more gathered together, Lord God, you are here in the midst, Lord God, and we want you here. We love you, Jesus, and we want to be more like you, Jesus. Would you speak, and would I get out of the way, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is the first thing that God requires of us. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, live in a way that pleases him, love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Notice the order of that. Before we're told to love him, before we're told to serve him, the Lord says we are to first fear him. The Bible actually says to fear God 130 times plus in the Bible. That's a 10 to 1 ratio of him saying, fear me before love me. And man, I've been trying to look through all through Spotify for the whole week, the couple past couple weeks, and I'm like, looking, where's where's the fear of the Lord in our music? It's it's hard to find it, you know. But I believe that there is nothing more needed in our world today than for men and women to fear the Lord. And today we're gonna look at this subject of fearing the Lord through the eyes of a man who did it really, really well. His name was Joseph. So I'm going to be all over. If you want to, just go look at the Joseph story in the Bible. And I'm going to basically just share the story of Joseph and the fear of the Lord through that. Sound good? So Genesis 42 says that Joseph was a God-fearing man. And some cool facts about Joseph is that there's actually no direct dialogue recorded in the Bible between him and God. His dad, Jacob, his grandfather, Isaac, and his great-grandfather, Abraham, they all loved him. They all feared him, and they have, like, these, like, exchanges between the Lord. But there's nothing recorded in Scripture of Joseph audibly saying something to the Lord and the Lord saying something to him. 
I still believe that he still talked to God, but to know more about who Joseph is, we have to glean from his character based on the choices that he makes, okay? So tonight, not tonight, this is morning. This morning, we're going to focus on three challenges in Joseph's life and how he responded to those challenges. Sound good? So point number one, Joseph is met with betrayal. So basically, Joseph's story starts out like this. He's like the youngest of 11 older brothers. God bless his mom. He says, his dad says, you're going to be my favorite, and I'm going to give you this coat of many colors. Have you all seen the, the Joseph movie? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? And he like the, the rainbow all over his clothes. So, so he, his dad chooses him as his favorite, and of course, you know, that creates some jealousy in his, his brothers. And sometimes you wonder, you're like, why, why would Joseph's dad do that? Like, why would he pick Joseph to be, like, his favorite son? So sometimes, I want to keep saying this throughout the message, is that the Bible is often descriptive and not always prescriptive. Like, for example, God never told Jacob, hey, you should love your youngest son more than all the others. Treat him as your favorite, you know. He just, Jacob did it, and God's like, I'm just going to let this play out, you know. And so sometimes the Lord allows people to make decisions in the Bible that he doesn't like, but he allows us to, like, see the consequences of their choices and us to, like, learn a lesson from them, you know. So year after year, his brothers grew up, you know, they probably play football, they're, you know, they're working together, they're playing together. He's always the, the runt following his, his older brothers, doing whatever they want to do. And his father asks Joseph, and he says, hey, I want you to go and check up on your brothers. So in Genesis 37, we see that Joseph's brothers see Joseph coming from a distance, and they plot. It says, the Bible says that here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Then we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. That went zero to 100 real quick, huh? Like, no one goes from, like, a slight jealousy from their, towards their brother to wanting to kill him overnight, you know? Like, something like that, that, that takes time, you know? That takes time to, to boil over for years to want to, you know, want to kill your own family, you know? But praise God, one of his other brothers, Reuben, says, hey, that's not a good idea. Let's just, uh, let's just put them in this little hole and let's see what happens, right? And so, so, they, so Joseph comes, they beat him up, they tear off his cloak, they mock him, and they probably spit on him, they do all kinds of things, and they throw him in this hole. And then they start eating a meal. Like, that's weird. They start eating a meal, and then, and then uh, these, these Ishmaelite traders, the Bible says, they come from Egypt, and they're like, hmm. Here's a time to make a little buck. And they sell their own brother into slavery. And not only do they sell him into slavery, but the Bible says that they sold him for 20 shekels. Like, Judas sold Jesus for 30. You know, that's, that's like nothing, you know? So, Joseph did nothing wrong. And Joseph was betrayed by those who should have loved him the most. But then Joseph 
humbles himself into slavery. So if Joseph is a God-fearing man, how in this situation does Joseph fear God? So how does Joseph fear the Lord when he's met with betrayal? We have to first ask, okay, what? What is the fear of the Lord? And when I say that we're to fear the Lord, I believe that the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God, okay? It's not living in this constant tension of like messing up. It's not even being scared of punishment of hell that leads us to doing a bunch of good things out of this sick obligation, you know? There's a wrong fear, and then there's a right fear. When we fear something, we fear it based on, like, the character or what we know or the appearance of something, right? So what are some things that we can, like, legitimately be afraid of? Snakes? Yes, I am terrified of snakes. I hate snakes. Okay, so... So this, this, this past week, actually, this is not my notes, but this past week, I was uh, riding my bike downtown, and I didn't have a fear of the trams, you know, the little, like, uh, downtown trams, but I have a newfound respect for them. I was riding through downtown, just finished up my bike ride, and I was just walking along, you know, riding along, and then I, I was, like, crossing over one of the little tram little, what do you call those things? Tracks, tracks. I was, I was going over it, and then it just slipped right out. My hand, like, went out, and, like, I got scraped all over my leg and everything. It was nasty. And then I was like, but while I was doing that, like, this car, I heard brakes go, like, around my head. So, like, I fell this way into the road, and I heard this, like, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Thank you, Lord. I'm okay. I'm okay. So I'm not, I'm not afraid of trams anymore, but I have a newfound respect for them, you know? They're, they're a little scary. The road's scary. So, wrong fear. Wrong fears that we can have is something so ugly. Something ugly or monstrous, right? When I was, when I was six, uh, I loved Teletubbies. And uh, there's this weird, if you know Teletubbies, there's like this weird little um, vacuum that has these like big googly eyes. And, like, I saw that, and I was like, man, this thing is scary. And so I woke up one morning, and I was, or one night, and I was like, dad, 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 like, Nunu's in my closet. And he's like, Nunu's not in your closet. But, you know, being a good dad that he was, he comes in, he grabs a, a piece of, uh, he grabs, like, a suitcase or whatever. And I'm like, dad, you got to throw him out. And i got to see you throw him out. And so he's like, all right, fine. He grabs, his, grabs a little suitcase, opens the garage door, and he's just like, yeet. He just throws a suitcase into the driveway, and he's like, all right, Nunu's gone, nothing to be afraid of. And I'm like, praise God. But if you look, if you Google Nunu Teletubby, you'll see that's, that's a little ugly little thing. Right? So something ugly we can be afraid of. Something so totally alien we can be afraid of. Something that's just, it doesn't quite compute with, like, what we know to be. Something, like, so unknown, right? We could fear something with a known evil character, you know? Like, any of those documentaries on Netflix, you know, I'm not going to get to that. We can be, uh, 
We can be afraid of something with a hostile attitude towards us or someone that declares intent to harm you. But God, he's none of those things. But there are some things that we can rightly fear, right? So what are some things that we can rightly be afraid of? We can fear something that's so big in size, right? Have you ever gone up to Mount Lemmon and you like step on the edge of like Wendy Point and like seeing how far it goes? Like big, you know? It's not, it's not to be uh, messed around with, you know? Or something so big like or powerful like the ocean, right? Have you ever like gone to the beach and you're just like, I'm just going to go swim out as far as I can. Get caught in a rip current and Mark Comey has to come save you, you know? That's, that's not a good idea. No. So we can fear something so big, something so powerful, right? What else? We could be afraid of something so beautiful and awe-inspiring, right? Like, like the day I bought a ring and that thing Blew, uh, burned a hole in my pocket, you know. I was so afraid because my wife over there is just so beautiful. And I was just like, what if she says no? What if she says no? What else? We can be afraid of something so majestic, someone so important, right? Like imagine, uh, I don't know who your, your people are. Like imagine for me, like Elon Musk walks through the door right there, right? The creator of Tesla. Imagine if he walks to the door there and he's like, what's up? There's like a little bit of, oh my gosh, Elon Musk is in the room. Or Ronaldo. Ronaldo walks up and he's like, see, let's, let's worship. What else? We could be afraid of something so pure or holy, right? You ever held a baby? It's so pure. You know, you don't want to like, just mess around, you might drop them. God is all of these things and so much more. He is not a monster. He is not alien, evil. He hasn't expressed a hostile attitude towards us. And he has no intent to harm us. The Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he is huge. He's powerful. He's like the sun. He's beautiful. He's majestic, pure, and so much more. Wrong fear does not love God. It's scared of him and doesn't want to be close to him. Like someone's scared to be around someone important, you know. But right fear leads us to perfect love, which casts out all fear. Another way to look at this is Exodus chapter 2020, right? You want a 2020 vision for our lives? Go to Exodus 2020. And it says, Moses answered them saying, don't be afraid for God has come in this way to test you that his fear will keep you from sinning. Okay, wait, whoa, whoa. don't be afraid of God. So that you can be afraid of God? So that you don't sin? What's going on here? For context, Moses is up on the mountain 
meeting with God. The Bible says that Moses even was a friend of God. But Israel is right now living in idolatry. They're making sacrifices to Baal. They're worshiping things that they know they shouldn't be. And that's the difference between having a spirit of fear versus the fear of the Lord. The spirit of fear comes from someone who has something to hide from God. Yet the fear of the Lord comes from someone who has nothing to hide from God. Moses, a friend of God, wants to be close to him, you know. Israel wants to have nothing to do with him. So how does, how does someone get this spirit of fear? I think Pastor Kai preached an incredible message a couple weeks ago about killing idols. And I believe spirits of idols, spirit of fear, are hosted in idols. Right? If you idolize your family, you might be terrified of losing them. If we idolize our job, we might be terrified when we lose it. If we idolize our finances, we might be constantly checking our, our checking account to see if anything surprising popped up. Basically, if I'm terrified of losing this, then it's an idol. And these idols are born out of Egypt still living in us. But the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil and to hate all idols. So, going back to Joseph. Since Joseph fears God, he knows everything is going to be okay. He didn't do anything wrong. But Joseph chooses to fear God and be humble. Instead of fighting back, seeking vengeance, I believe Joseph chose to fear him and be humble and start living a life of a slave. Now when I say he was humble, humility Humility doesn't negate the facts. His brothers did betray him. You know, humility is not being naive, and it's just like, man, that sucks, but, you know, got to be humble, you know, sit down. But if anyone has been betrayed by someone close, we know that betrayal hurts, you know, it sucks. But this is the choice. Pride versus humility. The two powerful responses to betrayal is, I'm going to bow up and I'm going to fight. They're not going to talk to me that way. They're not going to betray me that way. I'm going to fight. Or to run away. I'm never going to trust anyone again. I'm never going to be hurt again. I, 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 I. I'm never going to be vulnerable again. But humility says, Jesus, this is how I feel. How do you feel about this? Jesus, will you help me to trust again? Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's actually just thinking about ourselves less and thinking about God more. It focuses back onto him, back to his character, back to his goodness. And the only way to true humility is to first fear God. Y'all with me? Y'all good? All right. Point number two. Joseph is met with temptation. 
So the story goes on, and Joseph, you know, he's a humble man, and he's walking to Egypt as a slave. But in Genesis 39, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? The Lord was with Joseph as a slave. Even as a slave, Joseph humbly works the mundane jobs in Egypt as if he's working in the palaces of heaven. And because of this, the Lord decides to help him. So Potiphar, his master, Genesis 39, it says that he realized that the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in everything he did. And basically, he raised him up to be the head of all the other slaves. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a single thing except what kind of food he was going to eat. That's the life, huh? You take care of this. I'm just going to get Whataburger. So another theme in the Bible is that I've learned is um, we got to beware of the highest highs and the lowest lows in our life. If we're here and we're wanting to grow in, in Christian maturity, I've noticed, I noticed in my life and I noticed in my friend's life that the most likely time the devil is going to attack you is when you're at your lowest or at your highest. And sometimes it's mostly at the highest. And so here Joseph has everything going for him. He's got a great job. He's got a great gig. He's respected. He's loved. He's cared for. He's making a new life in Egypt. Great time to sacrifice his convictions. So Joseph... But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph, it says that he was very handsome and a well-built young man. And Potiphar, his boss's wife, soon began to look at him lustfully, saying, come and sleep with me. And he looks at her and says, my master trusts me with everything in his household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held nothing back from me except you, his own wife. How could I do such a good thing? A horrible thing, not a good thing. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Notice that part. He kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, she came and grabbed him by the cloak, saying, Come. And Joseph tore himself away, left the cloak in his hand, and ran as far as he can. Then the story goes that she accused him of a crime he didn't do, and his boss throws him into prison. So here Joseph is punished again for something he didn't do anything wrong. How do we respond when we do nothing wrong? Alexander McLaren says that come what will of it, right is right. And sin is sin. It's better to have a clean conscience and be in prison than to do wickedness and sit at a king's table. Now that we understand a little bit of what the fear of the Lord is, now we are going to look about why 
the fear of the Lord is so badly needed, okay? Y'all get with me? So why do we need to fear the Lord? Let me tell you a story. There once was a young man who had an amazing dad. And his dad was the king of the land. His dad was wise, kind, yet ruled with intense devotion. Though the most worthy characteristic of his dad's life was he was a man after God's own heart. His dad woke up early in the palace, walked out into the garden, went into the secret place to meet the Lord, and he'd return back to the palace full of the life of God beaming from his face. Then his dad would sit on the throne and judge with such wisdom. There wasn't a problem that his dad couldn't solve. The, king, the kingdom flourished under his dad's rule. And so one day he knew that his dad was going to pass away, and then he would have the responsibility to lead the kingdom. There were just three simple rules to obey when he was to become the next king. Rule number one, do not go back to Egypt to buy horses. Rule number two, do not take many wives. And rule number three, do not accumulate large amounts of wealth. Pretty simple. But one grave day, the great king lies in his deathbed, and he calls for his son and tells them the secret to his rule. Remember the rules and revere the Lord your God. Then, with great tragedy, the great king passes, and the kingdom is now on the young man's shoulders. So the man follows his dad's example. He goes out in the morning, walks out the palace, into the garden. And after many times doing this, God meets the young man and asks him, What is your wish? Ask for anything, and I'll give it to you. The young king thinks long and hard, and he says, I remember how my father used to never have a lack of answers to my problems. And the young king says, I wish for wisdom to lead these people well. The Lord then says, this is yours so long as you remember the rules and revere me, the true king. So Solomon ruled for many years. He wrote many proverbs beginning with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yet as the story proves in Solomon's life, the fear of the Lord is an active choice, not a passive past tense. Solomon goes back to Egypt for the wrong reasons and buys horses. He marries one, two, then hundreds of women. He lastly gains such wealth unlike any other man in history. And because of this, he sadly leads Israel into an era of death, disease, idolatry, and eventually the downfall and captivity of the nation. At some point, Solomon realizes his mistake, and he concludes Ecclesiastes with the same message. Fear the Lord and obey his commands. So the story of Solomon is like so many other stories in the Bible of a man who starts well with every blessing and every opportunity before him. 
yet met with temptation. Solomon chose not to fear God and chose to do what was comfortable. The reason why the fear of the Lord is so important is honestly, there's no other way to truly love him. At some point, we've come to realize that he is so, so good, and I've done so much wrong to him. He is so much better than I thought he was, and I'm so much worse than I thought I was. We all at some point came to realize this, you know, that we deserved separation from a holy God. But in that hopeful, hopeless, terrified realization, we've looked to the cross, confessed that I was wrong, tasted the Lord's sweet forgiveness, became a new person with a new heart, and said, I never want to go back to that old way again. The cross. The cross is the answer. At the cross, do we go from being scared of God because we have something to hide, to them being terrified of ever being away from him. So, Joseph is met with temptation. He chooses to fear God and run. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, to run. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts and pursue. Run and pursue. Both are active to run away from sin and to pursue what? Righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Also, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Run and run. Jesus says, If anyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart, so even if your eye, your good eye, causes you to sin, throw it away. And Joseph does. He runs. So how? How does Joseph resist this beautiful woman probably? The Bible also says not only to run, but in Ephesians, the Bible says to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So like in the future, like he knows he's supposed to run, but in the future, preparing, how are we supposed to prepare? The Bible, again, is descriptive, and it's not always prescriptive. It doesn't have every answer to every situation specifically, you know? So the Bible Like Jesus trusts us to carefully determine what to do. And we call this having convictions, right? What the Lord does is when we are born again and we repent from sin and we start following him, that he gives us his Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and comforts us when we need to. And as we work with the Holy Spirit through scripture in our lives, we begin to form these truths in our own hearts. We call them convictions. 
You notice how he says he kept out of her way as much as possible? Joseph did. He ran from the house. You know, God never told him to do that. You know, the Bible didn't say when, you know, you meet this one, run away, you know. He started forming convictions in his heart of like, okay, next time I see this girl, I'm having nothing to do with her. And some of mine is just, I have convictions. You have convictions. If we don't, we need to keep growing our convictions, you know. Like, I, I have a conviction that I'm never going to reach out digitally to any other girl unless my wife knows about it. I have a conviction that I'm going to treat other women as I would my sisters. I could go, I could go down the list, but basically we all need to form some convictions in our life that are based on Scripture. Y'all with me? Okay. But at the heart of it, too, there's convictions that we form. But at the heart of it, in preparation, Joseph keeps himself pure by spending time with the purest God. That's prayer. When we spend time with the Lord and we pray, that fulfills that intimate lacking in our hearts, you know. Prayer accomplishes what sin tries to counterfeit. Even as a married man, my, my intimacy truly comes from extravagant time with Jesus. No one else can fill it. So, we look back at Joseph. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He's been betrayed. He's been tempted. But he's held true to his convictions. In Genesis 39, it says that, but the Lord was with Joseph. Hallelujah. The Lord is with Joseph and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And the prison warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. When we rightly fear God, we'll have nothing to hide. If we fear God, we will fear no one else. If we don't fear God, we will fear everything else. Okay, point number three. Last thing that Joseph has met. Joseph is met with bitterness. So, again, not after being not long after being thrown in prison, Joseph is now elevated to second in command over all of Egypt. He's the VP. Now that's like really starting from the bottom, then making it up, right? Imagine going from the prison. The vice president of Egypt. That's crazy. And so Joseph is vice president of the whole nation of Egypt. And then there's this huge famine that comes, right? And basically, Pharaoh asks Joseph, what should we do? And Joseph's like, we need to, we need to prepare for this famine that's going to come. 
And so he does, and Egypt becomes like basically this, you know, this storehouse of grain. And so all the people in the land, they're, they're coming because, you know, it's, it's dry. There's been no rain. I know we can't relate to the story, but, you know, there's no food. And so his brothers leave Canaan, and they go to meet Joseph, right? And Joseph, he's married. He has kids now. He's commanding the whole nation. He's really got it good now. So when I, when I was sharing that point about Joseph is met with betrayal, something may have came into your mind about a pastime. Now I want you to imagine again that time that you were betrayed and you had no control or say in the matter. Now after several years, you're in control. And you have the last say in all the matter. What do you do? What do you do? Joseph's fear of God has formed him into a man of humility. It's formed him to a man of purity and now a man of power. At a single word, he could just kill his brothers. They're bowing and begging him for bread and he could just be like, off with their head. And no one would say a word because he's in charge. So what should he do? The last point of what the fear of the Lord leads to is actually friendship. Friendship. The secrets of the Lord, the Bible says in Psalm 25, that the secrets of the Lord are with those that fear him. So who do you share your secrets with? You share them with your best friends, right? You know, if your friend, if you go over to your friend's house for dinner and they, you know, they open the door and they're just like, oh, it's you again. You feel revered or that they're going to be your best friend after that, you know? The Lord's no different. We're best friends with those who care about us, with those who honor us, who treat our words and our lives with respect. The Lord's not our buddy. He's not our genie, and he's not to be disrespected. But to those who respect him and give him the proper honor consistently, they actually become best friends with God. And so Joseph probably goes into the other room friend of God and ask, what should I do? You know? The Bible says that he broke down and wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him in the other room. And so in that weeping, in that brokenness, Joseph hears a word from the Lord, I believe. He comes back and he confesses. He says, I'm your brother and I'm going to give you the best. He's not upset. He's not angry. He actually, he gives them the best land. He provides their food. He tells them, bring all your sons, bring all your grandkids. We're going to live in Egypt now. And when Joseph is met with bitterness, he truly and genuinely forgives them. The fear of the Lord leads to forgiveness. 
1 John 3 says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone, ask for the fear of the Lord. So Joseph, if you haven't picked up, is a symbol of Jesus. Jesus is betrayed for shekels of silver. Jesus is tempted. Jesus has opportunities to be bitter. He was mocked. He was beaten. He had plenty of reason to hold on to all of it. But Jesus was humble. He was holy. And he was a lowly man who was raised to save the nations. And he's alive. As we look to Joseph and his story, we also get to look at Jesus. And so, last part, I'm going to talk about how. How do we practically walk in the fear of the Lord? So if Luis, you want to come and uh, you can close this out when I'm done. Simply, I think the right way to fear God is to slow down. To slow down. Slow down and let's tremble. When Jesus models to us how we're supposed to pray, how does he start? He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy, hallowed be your name. You know, I think we're just, we're just such in a rush sometimes and in our service or in our abiding that we just tear up in our Bibles and we're just like, all right, I'm going to meet the Lord. You know, we write a bunch of good things down and then we, you know, we, we say we met God or we say like, you know, oh, here's Matthew again. I know, I know this verse and I know what it says here. And it, no, like these are the words of God. You know, each morning when we, when we meet with God, we should slow, slow down and think, man, Jesus is right here in this room, and I'm about to read his words, you know. Just like we'd want someone to look at our eyes and, and pay attention to us, so we need to do the same with the Lord, you know. So what I want us to do is I want us to, to get out a notebook, and if you don't have something to write with, open up your notes app. And while Luis plays, I'm going to read one chunk of scripture. And what I want us to do is just write what you hear the Lord saying to you. And so at this, this point, it's the last part of the Bible. And John, Jesus' best friend, is meeting Jesus again. After decades of being away, and Jesus is up in heaven, this is the last book of the Bible. He's an old man, a best friend of Jesus. And he's about to meet, he's about to meet his friend. 
And I want us to close our eyes and imagine Jesus. Revelation 1. Standing in the middle of the lampstands, I saw someone like the Son of Man wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. So what I want us to do is while Luis leads us in the song, I want you to imagine that Jesus and just write. What would I do differently if that Jesus was in the room before I talked to my kids? Imagine if that Jesus is in the room before I read his words. What would I do if that Jesus was there before I gave someone advice? So we're going to reflect, we're going to write, and then we're going to pray.